0: Hello, dudes, and welcome back to Brexit Island, where the banter timeline is still in full effect. Boris Johnson might self-destruct, they said. Tory members might prefer a competent leader, they said. (laughs) Enough never-Boris MPs might rebel to stop informing a government, they said. But none of that has happened because we've all done something bad and we're in hell now. I'm Dorian Linsky. Welcome to our Coronation Special Edition of Romaniacs, where we'll be marking the arrival of the Lib Dem's first ever female leader, Jo Swinson, and the Tories' first ever leader to be composed of 100% pure bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> it's very much a mixed bag. We'll be talking about both the new leaders after we meet two of our regulars and our special guests. Sadly, we don't have Ian Dunn this week, because as Brexit madman Tim Montgomery tweeted, this foul-mouthed anti-democrat is single-handedly responsible for starting a culture war. And that takes up a lot of his time. <laughs> <laughs> Naomi Smith of Best of Britain is fresh from her barnstorming slot at the March for Change at the weekend when Mike Goldsworthy of Scientists for EU gave her this exciting introduction.
1: This is how we build community and the new CEO Naomi here is absolutely fantastic. Do any of you know Romaniacs?
0: Do you know Romaniacs? Absolutely. Well, then you know Naomi. Come in, Naomi. Come on, Naomi. You're a natural. You're a demagogue in waiting. Um <laughs> were, you, were you Were you nervous?
2: Yes, very. Uh, but I was also incredibly angry, which really helped. And how did the
0: March for Change go? Our producer, Andrew, was there and he detected much more enthusiasm for a people's vote from the left block, including former remainer beta Owen Jones. Did it yeah. have a different vibe to the people's vote <laughs> marches? Yeah,
2: it, it definitely did. Um I mean, look, marches don't really... Make a difference. My first ever march was uh, the Iraq War March back in 2003 to try and stop Blair and Campbell taking us into an illegal war. It didn't have that effect, but it's important. It's a really important part of a flourishing democracy to have a civil society that uh, feels it can demonstrate. So it, it was important. I think what was really different this time was the involvement of the grassroots groups. So there are people listening to this show and others who don't, who dedicate so much of their time, whether it's running a street stall in their town and those lovely Brexitometer uh, things where people stick stickers on whether or not they want a final say vote or not on whether they're out delivering leaflets um, or whether you know they're, they're, they're doing good work on social media and they don't often get a spotlight shined on them and this weekend they did. Um, and this is very much about people speaking truth to power rather than a succession of politicos and politicians speaking to the masses so from that perspective it was great and it's really galvanized them and energized them for the summer because the worst thing that can happen is that everyone sort of deflates and lose momentum over the summer and then as we really need them uh, you know to, to fire back up to try and prevent no deal in September um, that you know if, if they were to have lost their mojo by then uh, that wouldn't be good so they wanted it they got it and, and it was a really good way to applaud the work that they've done.
0: Also with this is Ros Taylor, who edits LSE Brexit. On Tuesday, she was asking people what they're doing to stay sane on the day our new Prime Minister was plumbed in. What were people saying? Was it long walks, Valium, uh, <laughs> arguing on Twitter? <laughs>
3: I don't... Well, a lot of them seem to have left the country, which is kind of understandable, since it's going to become uh, probably a lot more difficult to leave the country, but certainly for a long period in the near future. Um, that made sense to me. Others, alcohol, but yeah. There were some good uh, memes. People were coming up with uh, ministers who've resigned against improbable backgrounds, which became a bit of a story on my timeline. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, you can you can go and see it for yourself.
0: Um, and you took your mind off things with a little light research into Euroscepticism in the 97 election. Classic Euroscepticism. Um, what, what
3: did you find? Yeah, this is earlier Euroscepticism. I mean, the 97 election was really the breakthrough time because there were two Eurosceptic parties fighting UKIP in its earliest incarnation and um, the referendum party, Sir James Goldsmith's outfit. Oh, and yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, now the referendum party didn't last long as uh, Sir James Goldsmith himself died a couple of months later. Um, but it's uh, basically they got about eight hundred and fifty, nine hundred thousand 900,000 votes, which for... Eurosceptic parties that was a mini breakthrough and what you had there was some uh, fascinating leaflets because of course it was all kind of you know leaflets and per party election broadcast then no internet or people were hardly using the internet so there was one particularly vivid illustration of enormous octopus with its m- many arms grabbing british judges and grabbing uh, you know innocent fishing boats out of the sea no, there's no there's,
0: there's no dark history associated with uh, <laughs> no, no, 11 no, no. octopus no. cartoons is there
3: no none at all <laughs>
0: Well, our special guest this week put his money where his mouth is in the Brexit fight when he stood for Change UK in London in the European elections. Uh, it didn't quite work out. The party polled 5.25% in the region and, and didn't gain any MEPs. But as any good journalist knows, everything's research. He's just published a book, Brexit Without the Bullshit, the facts on food, jobs, schools and the NHS. And it's his second time on Romaniacs. Welcome back, Gavin Esler.
1: I'm very pleased to be back in such Good and optimistic times. <laughs> <laughs> there's so much to be happy about. It's, it's a great day. <laughs> Rejoice. Well, <there's>, there is <laughs> quite a lot to be happy about, actually. You know, uh, we've got uh, people all, as Naomi says, people all over the country who have become energised and politicised by this, and they're doing things. And many of them are doing things that they would never have thought of, like, you know, having stalls and talking about it and, 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 and talking to, to neighbours and friends. We've got uh, 18 to 21-year-olds in particular we say we didn't have a chance to vote in 2016. We need our say. So I actually do see some some reasons to you know keep our mojo and lose our bojo. I mean, there's lots, <laughs> lot, lots. Very of, good. Yeah, that was I was thinking about that. Can one. have that you one for said, free. You can, you can have that one for free. I, I, I'm here all week. Um, but there are quite a few reasons to be optimistic, and one of them is that Boris Johnson is clearly what they think is the best they've got. And he's talking about now the work begins and Boris Johnson and work are rarely in the same sentence. So
0: we shall see. Maybe he'll be great. So after the campaign you wrote? Brexit has brought out some of the best of us, not just the worst. So that's that's presumably what you're talking about, just this kind of like mm, of so. energy. Um, what was the um, what was the impetus for you to stand? What, what kind of tipped your hand on that?
1: Um I'd never wanted to be a member of a political party, I'd never wanted to stand for election and I'd never wanted, uh, you know, to, to go to Brussels or, or, or be an MP or an MEP. So what changed was, I thought, like everybody who turns up at rallies and is concerned about this and most citizens in our country now, we need to do something to stop it, because it's sucking the life out of everything else that we care about and uh, and I thought, what what is it I can do? And this was something I could do. Now, it didn't quite work out. We got 117,600 votes in London, thanks to all those people who did it. I think what we did show, however, is that there is a Remain majority in this country. There certainly is in London, we know that. But there's a Remain majority in this country. And that Remain majority is looking for a home. And if Joe Swinson or somebody else proves to be the home... We can win this. And that's why I'm optimistic.
0: And as a journalist, obviously, you've given a lot of politicians a hard time over the years. Did standing for election give you any newfound sympathy for them or, or insight into um, into that process? Yeah, uh, it did,
1: actually, uh, for a couple of things. One was... Um, uh, some journalists focusing on what i thought were completely irrelevant things like what do you think of the change uk logo i have no idea i really you know (laughs) what we were trying to do is save our country from something that we think is 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 pretty terrible a self-inflicted wound and i don't care whether the the logo is a parrot or a three lines or a triangle or orange or red. or I, I really didn't care. All,
0: all of which I'm sure were considered. Oh, <laughs> All
1: of which were adopted for five yeah. minutes. I, I don't know. That was one thing. And the other thing that really annoyed me was being taken out of context. I made a very clear statement about, particularly about Michael Gove saying, we've had enough mm. of experts in our country. And I said, when Gove goes and gets his teeth fixed, he goes to a doctor who's an expert. He doesn't go to the village idiot. And some people... I can't remember the name, Liddle, Widdle, Piddle, something. Rod Piddle, I think <laughs> his name it, is, yeah. suggested this meant 17, po- I was saying 17.4 million people who voted for Brexit were, were idiots. I did not say that. I don't think it. And I've still got friends who are Brexiteers. I'm working on them. It's missionary <laughs> activity. But that really annoyed me because that isn't
0: journalism. That's propaganda. Yes. And there's a lot of that about this week uh, from the, the Boris Mania fan club. Which we will get on to. Gavin's going to help us triage the events of the week after these quick reminders from Roz.
3: It's been a bounteous few weeks for our beloved Patreon backers with special discounts on our Ultra Remainer summer collection of mugs and T-shirts, our special Ask Romaniacs Extra podcast, a set of brand new banners for the march created by Philomena Kunk writers Joel Morris and Jason Hazley, and of course our weekly column and early bird access to the podcast. You too could join that happy throng and help us in our valuable campaign to stop people calling the Prime Minister Boris. Search Patreon Romaniacs and sign up in dollars, unfortunately, because that's how Patreon does it. Pledge $2 a month and get the podcast early. $5 a month gets you a Romaniacs mug and the extra Ask Romaniacs show. For $10 a month, you get all that and the sought-after Romaniacs t-shirt, too. And you simply can't imagine the luxuries that supporters on the higher tiers get. They put Brussels expenses (laughs) to shame. (laughs) Search Patreon Romaniacs to find out more. Thanks,
0: Russ. The most unprepared, dishonest and feckless senior politician in living memory was elected leader of the Conservative Party on Tuesday with 92,000 votes to Jeremy Hunt's 47,000. And as we're recording this, at this very minute, he's on his way to Buckingham Palace. Best of luck, man. Um, Naomi, what did you um, make of uh, Johnson's acceptance speech? Uh,
2: it, I thought it was flatter than usual. Um, even, you know, people that would normally laugh at his jokes weren't. Um, not, it seemed quite. It was almost eerily subdued. I'd say it's not so funny
0: now, is it? No, the exactly.
2: The, the the bumbling shtick wasn't was that we've heard so many times before. wasn't b- It was beginning to wear thin and wasn't working in quite the same way. Um, but but all in all, and obviously, you know, this is what we've all been thinking about and talking about for the last twenty four hours. Even mm-hmm. though we've known it was coming for so long now, and it feels like it's been waiting months mm-hmm. and months. It, that that didn't help deaden the awfulness of the reality of him becoming our prime minister. And I sort of feel that yeah to be forearmed is to be forewarned or the other way around or whatever it is it, it didn't feel like that it still felt awful and obviously with the names that are now being thrown around as being close advisors I mean, he's essentially appointed the entire vote leave team uh, to his to his staff
0: well um boris johnson would call you a gloomy naysayer Yes. Um, whereas he's offering sort of sunshine and, and bulldog spirit. His pitch very much seems to be um, optimism and the whole kind of uh, the Peter Pan believe in Britain gambit. Mm. Do you, I mean, obviously that worked on two thirds of the Tory electorate. Um, mm. Is it? Is it going to work? With the country, is people swallowing this uh, sunshine. I don't milk? think it
2: will. There's already been a couple of polls out since yesterday's news—one yesterday, one today—and it looks like um, the Conservatives have uh, uh, taken some votes off the Brexit Party as a result of him, but lost more than that to the Lib Dems, and Labour have gone down to third. So it would appear that the country, uh, you know, and 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 that's slightly to be expected because he had such a high profile before. The level of don't knows on on what do you think. Prime Minister Johnson will be like, were always very low uh, because people already had a fully formed view. So it's unlikely he was going to get the same kind of new leader bounce that the other prime ministers have enjoyed. But um, remember, he doesn't need the whole country. Uh, you know, in 2005, Labour got 55% of the MPs on 25% of the vote. That's what I'm worried about, and that's what those of us in the Stop Brexit movement are very worried about. Is is it enough though for him to feel confident enough to go to the country and, and get a hundred plus majority?
0: Um, Ros' ideas about his cabinet leaking out. Dominic Cummings has already appointed special advisers. Exciting prospects like Priti Patel as Home Secretary. Is it just wise to um, to shelve all optimism uh, and expect the worst possible cabinet of fanatics, crooks, and incompetence?
3: Yes, you should, because no one decent will serve under him. Fundamentally, <clears throat> uh, Hammond has gone, and the other moderates in uh, the cabinet have gone there is no one with any decency frankly who I believe would serve under Boris Johnson and that in a sense creates its own problems you know there's no moderating influence yes but yeah yeah, but uh, I don't I I think we should prepare ourselves for the absolute worst Um, because traditional
0: political wisdom um, would say that it's a bad idea to give any sort of faction in your party in this case Tory Remainers the impression that they have nothing to lose and so, you know, sort of front bench purge is, is what obviously on Labour there's certain people where you know where are streeting or whatever is not going to hold back in case he gets a front bench post because mm-hmm. he knows it ain't mm-hmm. going to happen so is Johnson just creating a lot of kind of enemies that, that you know that really might as well oppose him with all they've got well there is enemies anyway I think mm. many of them because they
1: know him. I mean mm. one of the reasons he's not liked by MPs is they know he's lazy. They regard him many of them as, as being feckless. And he's got a he's, he's got a number of really big problems. One is does he uh, act as the prime minister of the ERG effectively? which seems to be the way he's going, or does he actually act as the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and stop this will of the people if it's only just 52% three years ago stuff? Uh, Now, he has a chance, I think, of doing that because he flip-flops and he's got these two versions of his and everything, really. Uh, He could do it. It doesn't look as if he's going to do it. And if he's not going to do it, then we may be into it. general election, which I would have thought is difficult for him to win if he's not actually about to deliver Brexit or Brexit's in the bag, and he doesn't have the numbers to do that until he wins a general election. So he is in a, you know, would you want to go to the Mm. country and risk being the shortest prime minister uh, in office ever, mm. I think, mm, and that, maybe.
2: And Ian wrote a very good piece yesterday, and done around you know, who's he going to let down first? Yes,
1: that's because exactly because he's right. promised
2: everything to everybody. Um, he said he's ruled out a general election, he's ruled out a referendum, he's ruled out uh, you know uh, doing any kind of you know deal that that um, you know doesn't get what they want on the backstop. He's going to have to let. At least one of those groups down, and it's going to be all eyes on on which one he's likely to do he's first got it in, in him August. To let
0: everybody
3: down. <laughs> don't don't, don't undersell under- him. Well, no, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I, I think he has to go for a general election. I think that will be his impulse because he likes chaos. He likes the feeling of the. He, he'll enjoy the risk. He'll enjoy taking on Jeremy Corbyn and a new, untested Lib Dem leader. And if he goes for a general election, he has to go in on No Deal. The reason for that is because if he doesn't, the Brexit Party will uh, stand against him. And that will split his vote too much. The only hope he has, therefore, in my view of uh, staying in power is to run on a no deal ticket. And that is why it makes sense for him to surround himself at this point
2: with the Eurosceptics. And, and that's what Farage wrote in The Telegraph this morning. Big yeah. piece about I will back him if he gives us what we want. Do what, we-
0: you know, a lot of people are freaking out about a Brexit Tory pact. Mm. How, I mean, you know, pacts have their downsides mm. as well, because mm. obviously they alienate. I mean, there are still moderate Tories um, related to a couple of them, um, and I can't imagine that they would swallow a pact. How? But why would they stand easily? down?
1: You see, that's it, 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 it. You could would have to say, <clears throat> you, if you're a sitting Tory MP and you're running again, we're not going to stand against you if the Brexit Party is that credible. I think a pact would be very, very <laughs> difficult. And all, all I would say about this is that we have seen, you know, five. A conservative prime minister's thrown to the European minotaur, being torn limb from limb by appeasing the right wing of their own party, or failing to appease it enough. Now, Boris Johnson may think he's got some peculiar magic with him and Farage and uh, and, and Donald Trump, which will get this through. But the history of it has been quite bad. That uh, they're eaten up. So, can he can he do that? I'm not
0: sure. Well, the Times reported that six story MPs are considering joining the uh, Lib Dems, which would be fun. Is that is that too optimistic? I mean, we've I mean, sort of Dominic Grieve aside, mm, mm. there's a lot of people that we've talked about I, quite warmly over the period mm. of this podcast who have just turned out to be a massive letdown.
2: Yeah, um, so I think on the Conservatives there are potentially up to twenty or thirty that could uh, support a no confidence motion in the government. Um, I do not think that many of them would be ripe for joining the Liberal Democrats. I think some of them will wait and see what a Conservative manifesto says, and if there aren't opt-outs for those that uh, don't sign up to no deal, they would probably stand as independent Conservatives. You've got some of the former Conservatives that have already left to join Gavin's party, and and some of them are now in their own grouping of independents as well, uh, like Sarah Wollaston and Heidi Allen, um, who could do a lot worse than to join the Lib Dems when you look at the data in those seats and what's happening um, and it remains to be seen whether or not they will do that and some of them are involved in trying to broker a a Remain alliance of of, uh, MPs across the country uh, to back one another and and not split the votes And, and that's the terrible thing, leave votes even if there isn't a pact. They're, they're concentrated in two parties and ours are fractured across four or five. Mm. Um, yes. So it, it, it does, the lack of pact on our side hurts us twice as much, if not more so than theirs.
0: Um, Gavin, you covered American politics for several years. I mean, we're unlikely to get a British Trump or a Britain Trump, as Trump described uh, <laughs> <British> <laughs> Trump Trump, yes. Britain <laughs> Trump, Britain Trump. In terms of kind of avert, send her back, fat racism, um, you know, just sort of borderline fascism, But we will get somebody with a similarly flexible approach to the truth. Do you think our system, um, and that includes, I think, not just our political system but the the media, is it any better suited than the American one to cope with somebody so kind of flagrantly unreliable?
1: Well, I think we're about to find out. And I think the short answer is no. Mm. I mean, we have had years of nonsense written in some newspapers about the European Union, and they don't even check their own facts. So Mm. why would they check, you know... Boris Johnson's facts. I think Channel Four is going to start doing it, yeah. and they should take courage from what happens in America. The Washington Post called out Trump in June as f- having told ten thousand plus lies in eight hundred days of the presidency, twelve a day, including weekends when he's playing golf. This is a this man is a workaholic and mm. the lying. Uh, so I think I think we are going to see that. Uh, Whether it has any effect, however, I don't know, because it is fairly obvious if you listen to talk radio, for example, there are people who have formed opinions and strong beliefs about the European Union, which are simply not based on fact. Now, either they don't know that or they do know that and don't care. And that is a real problem. Do facts matter anymore is really what I'm saying.
2: I would also challenge your your kind of opening thing about the overt racism. You know, we now have a prime minister who talked about pickaninnies with watermelon smiles. He has, you know, referred to Muslim women in the burqa as lesser boxes. Um, I'm not saying he's never said anything
0: racist, but I think it's it's of a different level. And race here is is different. These are things. Yeah, these are these are plucking lines from articles, some of which are quite a long time okay, ago, but, which is not to defend him, not, but that's not that's but, not Trump. But,
2: but he is leading the party of the go home vans that has failed the windrush generation. You know, I think actually it could be. Uh, you know, a thin end of the wedge and a slow burn into a more Trumpian style overt racism. Right. Um, and I think we can expect it, And as well as homophobia and sexism and misogyny and all the other things that that he has, you know, championed over the years. And our system is actually arguably worse. At least in the US, there is formally a separation of the powers um, and a written constitution, whereas a majority here, if you have a majority here in the UK, you can rule like a monarch on a fraction of the votes. So I think we're probably at greater risk of the threat of an authoritarian take other than the USA in, in many respects.
0: And what do we think the EU will make of Johnson's can-do spirit? Is he just going to kind of dazzle them with sunshine when he walks into the room?
2: No.
1: Have you ever met Merkel? I've, I've, <laughs> met, I've met Angela Merkel. She's brilliant, but she's not going to be dazzled by Boris Johnson's sunshine. I'm just laying that right out there. It's not going to happen. And and the other the only other thing I would would say about that is just su- supposing this gloomy scenario is right, that there is there is a sudden election, the collapse of Labour, the, 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 the Remain vote is divided, and Boris Johnson wins through on a no-deal Brexit ticket with the European Union saying, look, we've got a deal, that's it. Do you want to go crash out no deal? This will be the end of the Conservative Party because he will own it completely. And one of the reasons I'm optimistic is that the Brexiters now absolutely own Brexit. Mm-hmm. And are they really going to do it? I'm not optimistic for the country uh, in in the, the short term, but if they really do what they say they're going to do. The dislocation to our country will be so great. I mean, that's why I, wrote, why I wrote the book. And people will notice it. And it may be that because people feel in a certain way about Europe and they feel in a certain way about migrants and, and so on, and all the reasons we've given for people voting for Brexit, when the facts about our food supplies and about insulin and about other things come home and people really suffer... That will be a very big problem for Boris Johnson and it will be hung round his neck like a toilet seat, I'm afraid. Yeah,
3: I think Britons are very bad at dealing with crisis. Uh, we'll kid ourselves that we aren't, but we are extremely bad. Look at the fuel crisis. I don't know if it, it, it may be a while ago now, but it would cause the most ridiculous kind of hysteria in the press and in, among ordinary people. Any kind When it snows, for God's sake. When the KFC absolute, ran out of chicken, people yeah, called 999. People can't deal with it. And they totally overestimate their ability to... To deal with any kind of disruption to uh, what is a su- fundamentally supply chains, but they don't realize what supply chains do in our economy and how vital they are and how the economy works. And this is one of the things that I could bang on for ages because well, it isn't taught in schools, we'll people do- don't <laughs> understand it. Well, for- go
1: for it, go on.
3: Unfortunately,
0: <laughs> there is a book which covers such topics, which we will talk about later. Before we finish with <laughs> Johnson, um. Johnson's supporters are talking about having a thumping mandate. let uh, quote Gil Scott Heron, mandate my ass. And, and obviously the parliamentary system does allow for new PMs to take office um, without an election. And sometimes, as we've seen in the past, um, without even being elected by their own party membership, they just sort of ascend. And that's totally legitimate, but it's not the same as a, as a mandate from the country, mm. is it? No. So and- is, is he going to find that hard to spin? to spin it as if he has a mandate... Sure. Real one for, for, for this quite extreme path. Uh,
2: absolutely. In 2017, 54% of voters backed parties that had explicitly ruled out no deal Brexit in their manifestos. So there patently is not a majority in this country for Brexit, let alone the kind of Brexit he's peddling.
0: Um, well, talking of mandates, um, I'm going to end on, on a light note with, uh, with a quotation from Toby Young. he went full 1930s with his extraordinary bit of phrenological slash fic Uh, brace yourselves with his huge mop of blonde hair his tie askew and his shirt escaping from his trousers he looked like an overgrown schoolboy yet with his imposing physical build his thick neck and his broad Germanic forehead there was also something of Nietzsche's ubermensch about him you could imagine him in lederhosen wandering (laughs) through the black forest with an axe over his shoulder looking for ogres to kill this same combination—a state of advanced dishevelment and a sense of coiled strength, of an almost tangible will to power—was even more pronounced in his way of
3: speaking. Isn't it? Can we pass is, the tissues? To, isn't it extraordinary that we, we we kind of uh, we're so keen to denigrate the Germans and to boast about the war, and then suddenly we're getting into some sort of a Ryan fanfic crap. I mean, well, With a well, little how kind of work? eugenic sort of spin. Yeah, it's just I... like well,
0: his forehead is strong. Well, which means maybe, he has a
1: big brain. Maybe maybe we should just end on that note with another German, Bertolt Brecht, who once said, Ein Furz hat keine Nase, which
0: means a fart has no nose. <laughs> <laughs> now for one of our regular features, Gone in 60 Seconds. This is where one of our panel takes a well-worn Brexit argument and dismantles it in one non-metric minute. This week it's Rosie's turn, and she's doing The EU Can't Balance Their Books, That sounds like nonsense, Roz. Can you explain why in 60 seconds?
3: It pretty much is nonsense, Dorian. (laughs) And the reason it's nonsense is that the EU accounts have been signed off every year since 2007, uh, as true and fair. Uh, In fact, for the last two years, uh, since uh, the 2017 and 2018 accounts, they have said that the minor issues that that they had with the accounts, which generally come down to what member states are doing with that money and... uh, Basically, uh, spending it on uh, ventures that fail, um, have uh, been um, th- those minor issues have mostly been cleared up. So, in the last two years, we've actually seen a big improvement in the EU's uh, finances and in the way that they sign them up. Uh, so, it's a rubbish. <laughs>
0: there we go. That's a Nina beating 43 seconds. <laughs> Moving on, Jo Swinson is the new leader of the Lib Dems, and she came out swinging with a promise to defeat Brexit by any means necessary, like the Malcolm X of sensible <laughs> centrism. Uh, her victory was greeted with brickbats from Labour, who brought up her track record enabling austerity in the coalition government. She responded, I've been very frank that in owning the successes, we also need to be clear there were mistakes made as well. Naomi, you're an out and proud uh, Lib Dem. Coalition baggage didn't hurt, notably did not hurt them in the European elections. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously that's going to be, it still bothers a lot of people, it's, it's, it's Labour's main attack line. Do you think Swinson needs to do more to distance herself from those years, especially those votes on austerity?
2: Yeah, I mean, the Lib Dems have, of course, gained a lot of votes uh, in recent months, but I think they're pretty soft. Um, the switch to Lib Dems, remember, didn't happen on the 24th of June 2016. It's taken over three years for their popularity to rise um, and for the country to be in huge parliamentary chaos before double digit. Um, poll ratings have really stuck for the Lib Dems so I think it's worth remembering that while most Lib Dem supporters are Remainers not all Remainers and not even a majority of Remainers are now voting Lib Dems, they still do have quite quite some way to go and part of Labour's failings in the European elections was that they they couldn't get their vote out because their vote was you know we know about four they're losing about every four votes uh to the remainers as they are to brexit party and within that there, there are voters that chose to stay at home rather than back the lib dems they couldn't back labor because of brexit but they didn't yet feel ready to to back Lib Dems because of austerity and, and everything that that happened during coalition. So I think if they if they want to win over uh, even more remainder votes, they're going to have to show a bit more contrition for what happened um, in in coalition because it so helped to facilitate the Brexit vote. It helped create the conditions where Leave won.
0: And the Lib Dem kind of it, it sort of placed on the on the left right spectrum sort of oscillates depending on what the major parties are doing. Um, how sort of progressive? Is, is the current platform or, or the one that you expect sort of Swinson to introduce?
2: Well, they have changed quite a bit since leaving coalition. Um, I'm a social liberal, and I would say that the philosophy of the Liberal Democrats is rooted in a social liberal tradition. So, you know, we've always viewed things on an open closed axis and an illiberal liberal axis rather than a left right one. So, um, you know, we have a sort of different worldview uh, to the other two main parties. Um, but... Uh, a lot of the changes that have happened since coalition have been pretty low key, um, partly because they were quite subtle and um, partly because the media just weren't picking them up because they were an asterisk um, after after the 2015 general election, certainly. But under um, Farron and uh, Cable, they did come up with much more sort of Keynesian um, spending policies uh, than than happened during the Cleggite years. Um, and of course, they've long Champion things like asset taxation, uh, redistributive wealth, um, land taxes, and things like that, and major boosts to house building. I mean, that was something that the the party did try and champion a lot more during coalition, um, and you know, so they, they, they are they have always been quite a progressive party, but they are increasingly so now. I would and, say and since the, coalition. The
0: media being what it is, we we learned a lot more over the last few weeks about uh, surefire loser Jeremy Hunt than likely winner mm. uh, James Winson. So, what's she like as a person? What do we yeah. need to know about her?
2: She works incredibly hard. Um, you know, she really is an extraordinarily hardworking person. She's a professional politician. You know, she's never really had another job, um, and that has tripped her up a few times because you know she just hasn't had that hinterland to fall back onto. Uh, you know, when when for instance there was um when the Lord Reynard scandal happened in the party and she was Minister for women at the time, and you know some of the complainants went to her. I think her lack of having worked in an organization where there is a formal complaints. Procedure And, you know, we've all worked in organisations. You kind of know what to do broadly when somebody makes a complaint about somebody. So I think she, she's lacked some of that. Um, uh, and But, you know, she dedicates a huge amount of her spare time to championing women. She does a lot of training within the party for future women candidates and people who are thinking of standing to be councillors or... Or MEPs or MPs and and dedicates an awful lot of time to that. Um, and remember, she lost her seat in in 2015 to the SNP. So um, it's one of I mean, a lot of Lib Dem seats are are marginal. Um, hers what, you know, was particularly but party leaders tend to get a bit of a bounce so she probably will be okay but there are of course commentators now saying oh well, she's going to have to concentrate so much on fending off the SNP right. she won't be able to lead her party Well there leader.
0: has been a, a spinson bounce already yeah. in, in the latest poll yes. I don't expect this to sort of hold up necessarily but mm-hmm. 22 to Labour's 19, yes. which seems very yeah, much yeah. like a new leader bounce. Yeah,
2: and she, um, yesterday, the narrative was Boris versus Swinson. It was, you know, everyone else has sort of forgotten about the media. We're just sort of pitching the I two of them against Johnson each other. Johnson versus Joe. Jo- yes. Yes. What is has happened to him? Let's he was so good. Way. Do you remember when Joe Johnson did oh, the no, Gary Lineker Johnson. thing?
0: <laughs> not Joe Johnson.
2: <laughs> what did he He was sitting behind <laughs> Boris yesterday, water, yeah, huh?
0: Boris Johnson
3: yesterday, and um, clapping as uh, Johnson it went up on stage. I was disappointed.
0: <laughs> um, Gavin, Change UK are kind of on a break right now. Are, are you tempted to follow um, Chukraman and join the Lib Dems? Or, or, or are you happy not having a, a particular allegiance at the moment?
1: I'm, I'm happy not having to decide. But I would say that uh, Naomi anyway, was very fair and quite critical of, of, of the Lib Dems. But I would be easier, actually, on, on the Lib Dems now, which is compared to what... Compared to the mess that Cameron made and that he was responsible, compared to the mess that the Labour Party have made in allowing somebody who is not liked by MPs to get on the ballot in the first place and become a leader and lead them down towards almost single figures in the polls. So the Lib Dems have certainly made mistakes. And, but what I, I would criticise them for in the past is lack of bite. You know, I think Vince Vince Cable's a decent man and so on, but he didn't. He was very much the invisible man of politics for a couple of years. And I think Jo Swinson, a 39-year-old woman, yes, a professional politician, but she looks different, sounds different, different generation, all that kind of stuff, with a bit of luck it could cut through. And she would... I would hope that she would become particularly bold and therefore would be part of the central pillar of any Remain alliance or Remain movement. I mean, if she said... Revoke, remain reform, something like that. it would be very, very bold, and I can see there's there's I, I personally have some reservations about that, but if she went down that route, it might solidify a lot of support, particularly if the the opposite face of our politics is is Boris Johnson and the brave brexit party people who've been so ludicrous in europe so she she's got a chance I think and she, and she I hope she takes it
0: and does the fact that labor went in so hard? on her like as soon as as soon as she was uh, you know she won the election show that, that they kind of they, they perceive her a, a Swinson led Lib Dems as, as a real threat
1: i think it shows that the little cabal around the the dear leader are completely out of touch with the mood of the country which is we're all searching for solutions and if you see what many labor mp's have said uh, admittedly, it's Wes Streeting and Jez Phillips and others, they have been much more generous because mm-hmm. they see her as a decent person <laughs> trying to do her best. So it's the, it's the group that have brought Labour to the state that they're in, in my view. And if that group were to go and if, uh, for example, um, uh, Jeremy Corbyn were to recognise he is not going to be the next Prime Minister or ever to be Prime Minister of our country, it might be a good time for change. We could have three new leaders and three parties.
0: Well, yeah because she's ruled out uh, a pact to put mm. Corbyn in government even in the Hunt Parliament saying that he's a brexiter many people um particularly on the on the left have responded that therefore she's blocking the best chance of stopping brexit and my sort of suspicion was was do we believe her as as Naomi said, a lot of things are ruled out and then they happen so is a coalition still possible down the line, even though I think there's very obvious reasons why it would be toxic to in, to endorse it now if you you can't you can't. Yep go into an election or even pre- preempt an election but- by going oh yeah yeah we're going to do a pact with corbyn uh, who many of our voters and potential voters cannot stand and actively fear but it doesn't mean that there couldn't be a pact with labour but perhaps with a different leader i Correct. don't know what do we think
2: yeah i mean look she wrote several articles during the campaign about being prepared to do cross-party working to stop brexit and that is why uh I lent my vote to her rather than to a Davy because I felt she was much more open and willing to collaborate um I think the the article ruling out um Uh, doing a deal with Corbyn. Um, She's done it on the grounds of Brexit because she believes Corbyn to be a leaver and that he has been a leaver for a very, very long time. I think she's left the door open for warmer relations if they change their position. Um, You know, people have asked me, what do the Lib Dems do if Labour decide to fight a general election on a Remain ticket? And to that I say, well, they cooperate and celebrate it. You know, you you, you Mm. just have to, at at that point, you have to go brilliant. We do it together because only together are we going to defeat them.
0: Say that. Because it's so weird, because you really do have four the four UK-wide parties all sort of bobbing around, sort of twenty percent each. So there's it's really just impossible to predict with any sort of certainty what happened. But say um, Labour's only chance of forming a government is with the backing of the Lib Dems. Would Swinson have the power to go? I am not doing this with with Corbyn. Sure um, she... and, and sort of, and then would Labour then just go? Okay thank you next if changing the leader was the price of government because you know, obviously the membership is still largely very wedded to him and so I'm wondering what it means when she says I'm open to a, doing something with Labour but not with this guy.
2: So your red line becomes a, a referendum You know, you, 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 in order to enter a coalition you, you the deal <laughs> you do during coalition negotiations in those days after the election where they've got 250 MPs and they need the SNP's 50 and the yeah. Lib Dem 70 to get it over the line of 320 plus one. Then presumably the Scots say, right, we want our referendum, and the Lib Dems say, yeah, and we want ours, and we want the the government us to campaign very strongly for Remain in it, um, or they uh, they you know he he doesn't get to go to the palace.
0: So yeah, Ross, do you do you agree that it's actually when she's saying you don't really want to work with Corbyn that if they could get that referendum nailed down as part of the deal that they would live with Corbyn, that it's not, it's not really about him. It's just if, if he could be pushed over that line and commit to it.
3: It would be very difficult because, uh, and I agree with Naomi and the reasons she's given us to why, you know, and the reasons you've given as to why she can't say that now because Corbyn is so toxic to certain, certain people um, and that makes it very difficult to say it now. Yeah, I think she would have to, uh, she, she would have to do a deal because the, uh, the alternative is no deal. The alternative is Tory slash or Brexit Party coalition, and you can't go to the country and say, "Well, I won't work with this person because on my principles." Uh, in in the in those circumstances, these are desperate times. She would have to do it. Yeah.
0: And finally, is the threat to the the Tory? I mean, people. We've obviously seen kind of Lib Dems steal Labour's lunch in the European elections. Is the threat to the Tories underrated? Because if Johnson goes for No Deal or makes a pact with Farage or, or whatever, just generally positions himself as a hard Brexit, there are a lot of moderate Tories in Lib Dem Tory marginals that seem like they'd be up for up for grabs. You know, I know some moderate Tories and no way, you know, who are Remainers and there's no way they'd go for that version of the Tories. So do you think that that we don't talk enough about the Tory seats they could take?
1: Yes, and 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 also there are some. Uh, I know of one or two. Moderate Tories who are publicly for leave but would quite like a people's vote because they think it would get them off a very very big hook. Yeah. So uh, as you can you can and you can see why. And I think it's quite important for those of us who believe that a people's vote is 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 going to be useful that that campaign continues and continues with a sort of open mind as to who you you vote for. But but uh, uh, but that those people who uh, want to leave the EU but don't like whatever Boris Johnson's doing feel comfortable in being part of that campaign. I think that would be very, very useful uh, over the next couple of months because we haven't got very much time.
0: Let's move on to the comforting world of the boring but important. Not that boring, though, I should
1: say.
2: (laughs) Hope not.
0: After last week. Each week, one of our panellists chooses something that's of great consequence and yet possibly not hot enough for the front pages. Uh, Naomi, what have you got and why does it matter?
2: Um, So the thing that I've got that I think people may have missed this week in the flurry of uh, blonde hair rushing its way to the palace... Um, is that uh, on Monday the House of Lords supported Dominic Grieve's Commons amendment about proroguing Parliament um, in in the Lords this week by a majority of 114 votes. So you might remember that this is the amendment that seeks to prevent the new Prime Minister from proroguing Parliament in order to force through no deal by requiring Parliament to come back and sit uh, to debate political progress or lack of it in Northern Ireland, given that Stormont hasn't sat for two and a half years. Um, And I think that this sort of big Lords revolt is um, uh, important for a couple of reasons. Firstly, it demonstrates that Boris Johnson is going to find it very, very, very hard to pass legislation if the broadly uh, pro-European House of Lords tries to block him on things. Um, so the Salisbury Convention um, is meant to stop the unelected Lords from wrecking government bills. Um, so normally the Lords will not oppose Commons bills at the second and third readings. But in coalition governments or minority administrations, and Johnson's you know very very shaky majority uh, in the Commons is is dropping every day, and will hopefully again next week with the Brecon by election. Um, but he's also and you know he's losing Conservative MPs too. But the Lords believe that the convention doesn't apply um, during coalitions and, and where there is a very sort of small majority uh in the in the commons and that could make it incredibly difficult for him to pass laws without the lords trying to delay or or redraft them. Um, and then the other thing to mention of course is that the DUP are of course desperately unhappy with the Northern Ireland bill because of same sex marriage and um revision of the abortion laws there. So it may be that actually they try to resume talks um and and have Stormont sit again so that they can take back control of that agenda in which case the Commons wouldn't have to sit again and, and that whole amendment would have been for nothing. So it's all very, very processy, but actually I think keeping an eye on all of that and what Arlene Foster um, is up to and whether Sinn Féin want to you know, um, resume talks is going to be incredibly important to keep an eye on over the summer.
0: Our special guest today... Is Gavin Esler, former Newsnight presenter, BBC Washington correspondent, Change UK candidate, and author of Brexit Without the Bullshit, The Facts on Food, Jobs, Schools and the NHS. It's fact-packed, but very compact and readable, and we get a shout-out and acknowledgments. So that's nice. <laughs> and maybe, maybe a first. Gavin, yeah, first, who did you write this book for? Who's your ideal reader?
1: I wrote it for... Uh Anybody with a vote in the United Kingdom, and particularly anybody who voted in 2016 and didn't know what they were voting for, and I include myself in that, I had no clue what Brexit was in 2016. I didn't know what it was. Uh, Whether you voted leave or remain, I'm afraid you didn't know what it was because it was never explained to you. As... It was in Northern Ireland when people voted on the Good Friday Agreement. You got a copy of the agreement. So we just simply didn't know. We had to sort of, and and we were also sold. The reason we called it Brexit without the bullshit, although I thought the publisher would change it to something else, but anyway, he decided <laughs> to go with that. I thought, well, if I take away all the bullshit, is there anything left? <laughs> and actually there is quite a lot left as yeah. it happens. Not all of it is is pleasant. I mean, what will happen to our food, for example? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, And I've looked at, among other things, what the U.S. trade representative, who is the person who will negotiate a trade deal with us, open public hearings in Washington with uh, the pork producers, for example. And what do they do and what do they want? Well, as I know from the the hearings, 60,000 pork producers in America in 42 states. That means 84 members of the Senate listen to the pork lobby. What does the pork lobby want? The pork lobby says we don't sell any pork to the European Union. None. We would like to, and the way to do it is to start selling to Britain. Why don't we buy their pork? It, this is this makes chlorinated chicken seem like the good stuff, because they put among other things in it ractopamine. What? which is something. Yes, exactly, ractopamine, which is banned not just in the EU but also in those high food standards countries, China and Russia, <laughs> and lots of other countries as oh. well, because it's, it's terrible for the pigs. I mean, really terrible for the pigs. Uh, also, 70% of antibiotics in the United States are used on farm animals, mm. not humans, and they're often used prophylactically to prevent things happening, which means antibiotic resistance is terrible, and there's government reports in our country about this, and we shouldn't accept it. Now, what the U.S. Trade Representative has heard is there should be no trade deal with Britain unless they accept what they call SPS standards. That's sanitary and phytosanitary standards, which means our food will be like American food. And I really... I have somebody who lived for eight years in the United States. I really don't want that. And that's just one of the little fun things that I discovered and would quite like to have known about a few years ago. And just one final thought on that. Whatever clout Boris Johnson has or anybody else has in Washington it is not the same as the clout of the pork lobby or the pharmaceutical lobby or the chicken lobby or all this, you know, the the, the corn syrup lobby. These are important people because they give money to American candidates for
0: election. And and on the NHS, you go into a lot of detail about how the Brexit was supposed to fund the NHS, according to a bus I saw, is actually making it more expensive by driving up drug costs, costing its staff and eroding the tax base. Um, Is the NHS... The sort of rock that would that would break Brexit is that a is that a powerful message that if we say that Brexit is threatening uh, is threatening the NHS?
1: Well, it is threatening the NHS. It, it's threatening. I mean, our drug prices are much lower than those of the United States, for example, because the NHS is a big provider and it can can uh, get very good deals. That will change, uh, but that's just one part of it. We've already seen from some hospitals an erosion of staff. Social care is another area where, rather like actually food production, where many of the people who do the, 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 the quite boring and low-paid jobs in, in, in food production are from the EU 27 countries. The same is true in social care. They're quite often low-paid li- low workers who come to us perhaps from Eastern Europe and elsewhere because we can't find people to do it. Now, either we pay workers more, which would be great, in which case... the your your mum and dad and grandmother and grandfather might not be able to afford to go into a home. That's a huge, huge problem. And then there's the question of doctors and nurses. We're already, as we know, 40,000 nurses short and so on. And there's all kinds of projections what it would mean if many EU nurses don't come here because they've got a choice. And even if you don't think it's directly because of Brexit or they feel unwelcome, the pound has gone down, so we're not so attractive because we don't pay so much. If you're sending money back home to somewhere in the EU 27, so all of these reasons are reasons to worry. But no doubt Boris Johnson will say 20,000 more bobbies on the beat, 200,000 more nurses, a million more doctors, <laughs> you know, a dentist in every pub. I, d- I don't know what he'll say. Whether you believe it
2: <laughs>
1: whether you believe any of this or not. I mean. I I would encourage anybody who believes anything he says to come walk with me over the Garden Bridge in London.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, Boris would, of course, if he read your book, would say it was the work of a gloomy naysayer. But I noticed that there was one bit of good news, uh, that there was one upside you managed to find to Brexit, that returning Brits, returning to the UK, would most likely have shorter passport queues with their their blue passports. Was this literally, in all your research, the only... (laughs) The only upside. Uh, Well,
1: yeah, well, uh, you know, there's uh, 190,000. I spoke to a Spanish journalist who said to me, do you know what the difference between our countries? Uh, We send you our young people to work. Mm. You send us your old people to get sick and die. Now, that's a very gloomy thing to say, I have to say. But if many of those people using their blue passports choose to come back from Spain and France because they will not have the same access to health care as they have now, then we'll need even more even more hospitals. So I didn't find a lot of ho-ho, if that's what you mean, in terms of what Brexit would mean. What, what I do think, though, is it really has energised people who kind of turned off politics and said it doesn't matter yeah. and they're all the same. Mm. They're not all the same. And the future is not all the same. We can actually change things.
2: I mean, I think that's one of the wonderful things about 2019 for our movement compared to 2016, is that over the last three years, we have now got this enormous community that wants to fight Brexit. And it includes you know, almost every creative in the land... Every young, almost every young person, you know, we, we, we have got this wonderful resource that we lacked in the, the previous referendum, and I'm very confident now if we have a second one that because we've now got this wonderful community, uh, will we, you know will be so much better than we were last time.
1: I agree, and also the other thing that is also good news is that when I talk to students, I talk to a lot of students, they know that all the really big problems we face are international. Yeah. You know, cancer, disease, climate, uh, change. climate change, migration, and so on, what do we do? Poverty, what do we do about these things? They're not, there are not nationalistic solutions to international problems, and they get it.
0: And One thing that's been really surprising, I think, was, is there is an audience for a book like this. There's an audience for a podcast like ours, which you would not normally have thought that, that people would tune in to hear mouth culture warrior Ian Dunn <laughs> talk, talk about tariffs. But people are genuinely, they do, they do have a, like a working knowledge, which most people who didn't work in this field didn't have before June 2016. Like you said, you include yourself, I include myself. There is just, there is a lot to know. Your book has got a lot of information in it. Um, but of course, one of the takeaways of the, of the 2016 election, even though there weren't enough facts, was people go, you know, feelings beat facts. Facts don't work. Um have have you got any any sort of more faith in the power of disinformation which you kind of lay out really sort of in unsparing kind of clarity in the book of, of it actually having an effect that is the through?
1: I think that is for me the biggest question because I got involved in this in the end because of lies. I was fed up being lied to and I was fed up with people saying make America great again, but what does that mean or Brexit will cure everything. Uh there comes a point where those people who have got expertise have got to start explaining things better. And secondly, we've got to recognise that, you know, the fact is the earth is round, but I feel that the earth is flat. My day-to-day life, I don't go around thinking I'm on this big round thing. (laughs) So we've got to realise that feelings are actually quite important. But in the end, the fact of gravity, the book just dropped on the table, it's not going to go up whatever Boris Johnson says. And so my f- my fear, actually, <clears throat> is that we may have to do Brexit to prove it wrong. I hope that we're not that daft, but we may have to.
3: I think, I think you're right. I fear that too. But I also think that it will be the game changer. And I'm thinking even of this week. Tomorrow it's forecast to be 38 in London. I don't think it's ever been 38 in london before uh, in within recorded history and it is concentrating my mind and i think it is concentrating the minds of a lot of people on what climate change actually means because it is here now and it's happening um and it will be the same with brexit unfortunately we will have to see the worst of it before people actually realize
0: well, it's like the I will not sure if quote before. You know the the line in the kind of the, the last episode of Chernobyl. that goes, yeah. every lie incurs a debt to the truth, and eventually yeah. that debt has to be brilliant. paid. Brilliant. And it's sort of like it's very it's it, it, it's probably correct to say that facts don't cut through in the way that you want them to. Nonetheless, they are facts, and I found kind of reading the book that it started off, um, you know, like food food standards, and you just always like, oh, a quite worrying and interesting and then as the book progresses it just gets like darker <laughs> and darker and then we're heading for like the breakup of the united kingdom and no deal and i was like jesus take take me back to the bit about pork that was <laughs> I was a vegetarian and didn't bother me um it doesn't end with um necessarily a kind of sort of huge amount of optimism it does sort of prepare the reader for like you know this is this is stuff that you may Deny it or not. This is stuff you, you will have to live with if it goes through.
1: Well, we may be facing the end of the United Kingdom. Uh, it seems to me that there will be a, another vote in Scotland whether we have Brexit or not. And if we do have Brexit, I think that the, the Scotland will be independent. And I also think that w- what is gets so little coverage here is the fact that uh, Ireland is, has been so strongly supported by the rest of the European Union that Scotland would find a good welcome within the European yeah. Union. And the fact that a very small country of a few million people is being supported so strongly in Poland and then and, and Spain and, and, and you know right across the EU is hugely significant. And in S- Scotland, I have to say, the political uh, fallout for this will be quite vast. I think Labour in particular have got, well... They, they seem to me to be almost finished in Scotland.
2: Our data shows that both the Conservatives and Labour look set to lose every single seat they single, currently hold in, yeah. in Scotland. And yeah.
1: the Lib Dems may they, pick
2: they, up a few. Well, no, I think they'll just cling on to their four. Actually, oh. yeah. So you're right. I think the, the the sentiment towards independence because of Brexit is growing.
0: And when you were sort of out on the on the campaign trail, even in kind of generally sort of remainy London, um, did you have? Uh, I always imagine one of the many, many, many reasons I couldn't go into politics would be being incapable of hiding my facial dismay um, (laughs) when people were talking nonsense. Did you did you find yourself in conversations with, um, you know, with leavers where you were just like, but this this just isn't true.
1: Well, we are we are in the centre of London and about 300 metres up that way in Argyle Street. I was that annoying person handing out leaflets. And it was going really well. And we are and remain central. We are with with Londoners. And you will see people from all over the world here taking leaflets, talking, chatting. One woman came up to me about 30 years old, I would say, and said, I'm not voting for you. I'm voting for Nigel Farage. And I said, do you mind if I ask you why? And she said, because the European Union is totally undemocratic. And I said, you're voting in a European election for a European Parliament for members of the European Parliament, which were the bits of that that you think are most dem- undemocratic and i don't I don't know if you could actually hear a penny drop, but there was a sort of moment where her face her face changed, and she said, "I hadn't thought of it that way, and then she walked off and I will guarantee you she didn't change her vote mm. so facts. May have a limited shelf life at the moment in our debate, I hope not, but that really it didn't shock me, but I just thought this is a very, very difficult thing for people who believe something to be true, whereas the facts are actually very very different, and the facts about the undemocratic e u when it's twenty eight democracies mm-hmm. with twenty eight leaders we all know the stuff, and there's european parliamentary elections that hasn't even that hasn 't got through.
0: Because around the time that you would have decided to, you decided to stand with it it was still sort of changed kind of in its sort of honeymoon period do you think that it's sort of fate it's been a real it's been a, a real journey very quick journey has that, has that sort of sunk the kind of cause of new sort of centrist parties for the for the foreseeable future was it do you think that people are just like well that didn't work and therefore it cannot work
1: i I, I genuinely don't know uh i mean I uh, I had four weeks in politics. So it was four weeks that didn't change the world. It was but it was it was quite a name for a book. It was. Yeah, that's the next one. Uh, it was quite, ex- quite exciting. Uh, uh, I think it did bring some people into politics that perhaps weren't interested before. Whether there's any staying power, the middle of the road is a very difficult place to be, as you can ask any flattened hedgehog. You know, it's not a, it's, it's not a great place. Uh, and it's a difficult case to make because it is a fact-based case uh, uh, and and liberalism in general is about facts and enlightenment values and so on Mm -hmm. so um you know that's where that's where we absolutely agree so um but there isn't really an alternative there may be an alternative name or badge or logo i'm not i'm not really interested in that i'm trying to focus on what is the objective. And the objective is a better Britain, where we address the problems that produce Brexit. And we don't spend our time getting sucked down the rabbit hole that is
0: Brexit. Do you think that that was an example of a a kind of that that part of you was was an example of what happens when you don't have like a bigger narrative? I remember, I think it was either Chris Leslie or or Gavin Shuker talking about what, you know, just going, we're going to have evidence based policy. And I'm all for evidence based policy. But it was like it just died. As a slogan, that's not an yeah, exciting, yeah, not a good slogan, exciting slogan. And they didn't seem to sort of have a, a sort of bigger narrative, and that is a criticism that was made of, uh, of of the Remain campaign. is is made of this whole kind of sector of politics, you know, which has millions of people live in that kind of mm-hmm. In that kind of sector, sector of the kind of political pie chart. Um, but they're lacking a narrative. Have you kind of come to any conclusions about how you? give people this kind of exciting story. I mean, Boris Johnson has a story. It's nonsense. Um, but it's certainly unencumbered by facts. So
1: that's, you, yes. Well, I think we all spotted that one. No, uh, you know, you're right. I mean, the, the, I think the thing is, we all know that the two-party political system in Britain is broken. It's dominated by activists. We've got n- essentially 90,000 people in a party that changed the minds three times in three years who should be leader sending us Boris Johnson as our dear Prime Minister, and we've got the Labour Party dominated, not even by Labour Party members, but actually by a small cabal that's got a very tight grip. So we know it's broken. The question is, how can you break through and say that Britain is better than this? In my view, Britain's much better than Brexit, and is much better than this. But our current parliamentary system doesn't work, and the party politics doesn't work in those two parties. What, unfortunately... Our history with referendums has been pretty dire because the one thing that would help would be a fairer voting system. And if we could have that, and if that were on the agenda, which it is very big time in the Lib Dems still, uh, and if Joe Swinson holds a balance of power, that would get very interesting because it really would change the country for the better, I think.
0: So in this sort of bad, bad, bad week, um, where, is the, where is the optimism uh f- for you then do you think that we can a- do you think it can actually be stopped or do you think that there will just be something good and positive that will that will emerge from the wreckage
1: i think it can be stopped i think brexit absolutely can be stopped uh, i think that those of us who believe that have got to work even harder to make the case. I think we're helped greatly by the fact that the people who are most in favour of Brexit have been so useless at implementing it, and they still can't agree what it is. They don't like each other. And Dominic Cummings, who seems to be now a key advisor, my understanding is one of the things he did in 2016 was make sure Nigel Farage was nowhere near uh, the main part of the campaign. Mr Farage plowed his own furrow. So they're still divided. So we're helped by that and we're helped by our own enthusiasm. Whether we're helped by the numbers in the parliamentary system, that's more difficult. But look, I mean, there's uh, th- this government is hanging on by its fingertips. And the fingertips depend upon the Democratic Unionist Party of Northern Ireland. These are not fingertips I'd like to be hanging on by, to be honest.
0: Great. Thanks, Gavin. It's the end of the show and the Brexit time capsule at Johnson Proof Story Chamber for everything that we'll need or miss if we leave the EU Gavin the last time you were a guest, you chose the right to travel on a whim and work anywhere without a work <laughs> permit. Um, you get another choice to add to the time capsule. Kate Ho is lurking in there now. So. Oh, be careful. <laughs> so be careful. <laughs> um, I, my choice,
1: this is, is post Brexit, if Brexit has happened. The thing I'd like in the time capsule is English cherries. Because. One of the little-known fun facts I discovered uh, while doing the research for this book is while I adore the cherries that I get from Canterbury, where I spend a lot of time at the Kent cherries, one of the problems is who picks them and who picks our fruit and vegetables in England in particular? And the answer is quite often foreign nationals from the EU27, our berries in particular, fell out of favour and asparagus was another thing before 2004 the new accession countries provided cheap labour who come here do some work that other people don't want and they go home and I get the cherries now maybe there's a lot of English cherry pickers sitting out there who would like to help uh, help do it but I'd like them in the time capsule
0: is, is it just going to be like I can remember doing like pick your own it's oh, yeah. like a kind of you know Saturday activity when I was a kid, and is now just going to be enforced pick your own, pick your own whether you like it or not.
1: <laughs> well, there would be a, that. That wasn't on the side of the bus when no. we voted in 2016. Pick
0: your own cherries. Our closing language clip is in Dutch from Connie Armstrong, one of the three million Europeans in limbo. Hello, Connie and Ian Armstrong. Ja, yeah, je weet maar nooit hoe een
2: koe een haas vangt.
0: That means you never know how a cow might catch a hare which basically means who knows what might happen, <laughs> which is, that's kind of optimistic. Yep. Who knows? <laughs> we need your European language clips. So record something on your phone in a quiet room and email it to us at info at Romaniacs.com. We'll use the best ones. That's the end of the show. Gavanessa, thanks for returning to the show. Thank you. Um, I'm going to ask everybody, how long will you give the Johnson years or months or weeks? Um, how how long do you think we're going to have Johnson as Prime Minister?
2: Three months.
1: You might be right, but I think the psychology of Johnson is he only wants one thing, which is for himself to stay in office. So he will cling on if he has to. I would have no idea what kind of obnoxious plans or what kind of uh, crawling, uh, crawling to Europe he would have to do. But he wants to stay in power. So I think I'll give him till 2020.
3: Four and a half
2: months.
1: Wow, that's end really of the year.
2: Halloween plus about six weeks. it so gone by Christmas. Uh, end end of the year. Yeah.
1: I prefer your views. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and
0: you, Dorian? Um, well, I kind of, you know, I kind of swing always between <laughs> the optimistic thing. Where you just go, well, come on, this is just this nonsense. Unfit for the job, and there's all these kind of pressures on him, and and I would therefore lean towards you know three four months, and then I remember that the world is sufficiently bad for him to be prime minister in the first place, and you go, oh, who knows cling on get a no deal fight an election in which because of our stupid system he could still end up forming a government like I don't know Mm. after 2016 you can never rule out the worst possible thing (laughs) um but I don't want to be like who wants to live like that you know I I think I would rather be yeah I would rather be (laughs) optimistic and wrong than pessimistic and right okay So, we'll finish up with our uplifting theme tune, Demon is a Monster, by Great British Band Corner Shop. Don't forget, you can get a free download of the track from their website, ampleplay.co.uk. Thanks for listening, keep your chin up, and here's a thank you to our latest Patreon backers.
3: Big shout from me to Melanie, Stephanie, Stephen Williams, Gordon C, Brendan Knobs, Sam Hollings, Jeff Clark, Bev Cox, Aman Mahal, Simon Judas,
2: James Brambley and Tristan Rodriguez. Hello and a huge thanks from me to Sophia Rose, Kate Stone, Anthony Abdul, Roland Smith, V Roland Smith Dave McLaughlin, Stacey Williams, William Chidley, Rick Frame, Kim Giddens, James Crosby, Raoul Grable and Benjamin Leach.
0: And finally, thanks for me to Daniel Green, Ruth Ann Hughes, Fabienne Panier, Richard Coutras, Adam Collier, Stuart O'Brien, Alec Cormac, Emily Seymour, Robert Mayer, Daria Crawford. Hippertolfts, and Thomas Sturges-Hallard. We had somebody who signed up recently and wondered when her name would be read out, and uh, apparently we are still working through people from uh, April. Wow! I know, right? Um, So thanks to all of you, and see you next week.
3: Romaniacs was presented by Durian Linsky with Ross Taylor and Naomi Smith. The producer is Andrew Harrison, and audio production is by me, Elsie Bath at Soho Radio. Romaniacs is a
2: Podmasters production.